this hearing of the Subcommittee on General Farm Commodities and Risk Management entitled A Hearing to Review Efficacy of the Farm Safety Net will come to order. Welcome and thank you for joining today's hearing. After brief opening remarks, members will receive testimony from our witness to, witnesses today, and then the hearing will be open to questions. Members will be recognized in order of seniority, alternating between majority and minority members, and in the order of arrival for those members who have joined us after the hearing was called to order. When you are recognized, you will be asked to unmute your microphone and will have five minutes to ask your question or make a comment. If you are not speaking, I ask that you remain muted in order to minimize background noise. In order to get to as many questions as possible, the timer will stay consistently visible on your screen. In consultation with the ranking member and pursuant to Rule 11E, I want to make members of the subcommittee aware that other members of the full committee may join us today. Thank you to all of our witnesses and my colleagues for joining us here today. I'm excited to chair this subcommittee, this Congress, and to work with my colleagues to dive into how weather and economic conditions impact our farmers and how safety net programs are functioning to help them through tough times. We've heard time and again how critical crop insurance is as a risk management tool for farmers and how necessary Title I farm programs are to address market and production challenges. We have a great panel of witnesses here today, including several farmers who will talk about production and weather conditions in recent years, a crop insurance agent who will give an overview of how the program works, and an ag economist who will give us insight on the state of the farm economy and considerations for the safety net. This is an important hearing to get input from you about how, 20, how the 2018 Farm Bill programs are working and to get a better understanding of what is happening in the countryside. We are interested to hear more about the considerations given in signing up for ARC or PLC and how changes we made to those programs have worked for growers. And in particular, we want to hear about how crop insurance has kicked in in times of need. Building up to this hearing, we've held a series of meetings with stakeholders and have led roundtables with this subcommittee to hear members' priorities as well as to get input from national farm organizations. In addition to hearing from this panel today, we intend to hold additional hearings to help inform the subcommittee on the impacts of the dire drought conditions affecting much of the West, the Upper Great Plains, and the Midwest as well as to understand how other severe weather events this year have affected farmers. The information we gather from you today and in future hearings is critically important in our work to ensure that help is here when times are tough and when disasters strike. I'd now like to welcome the distinguished ranking member, the gentleman from Georgia, Mr. Austin Scott, for any opening remarks he would like to give. Yeah, thank you, Chair Chairwoman Bush. I'll try to move pretty quick so we can get back on time uh, after the technical difficulties. This is uh, an extremely important hearing to uh, talk about the farm safety nets from the last farm bill and changes that can be made as we work into uh, the new farm bill. Certainly in my state, the state of Georgia, after Hurricane Michael, we saw the uh, shortcomings of, of the crop insurance program. Uh, we have heard uh, a lot about the, the NAP programs, the, the non-insurable crop assistance program, and changes that, uh, that can be made there and look forward to hearing the testimony from the farmers on the ground about uh, their recommendations and how we uh, create a better safety net for uh, our producers that are important to the food supply of all Americans. A couple of things that I would like to mention. Maintaining a stable and reliable safety net for these farmers 
in the event of natural disasters or in the event of a crippled economy or collapsing commodity prices need to be addressed in, in the Farm Bill. The other issue, Communist China. In the last decade alone, the Chinese government has wreaked havoc on markets for cotton, sorghum, rice, wheat, corn, and of course, soybeans. Their action in the markets this past week are indicative of who they are as a bad trade partner. Uh, I also have significant concerns about the Chinese ownership of the input on suppliers of our, of our food processing and uh, look forward to hearing from the producers on the ground about how as we push forward into uh, the next farm bill, we use not only the USDA, but uh, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission to protect our producers from uh, unfair practices of foreign adversaries. With that, I yield. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Uh, the chair would request that other members submit their opening statements for the record so witnesses may begin their testimony and to ensure that there is ample time for questions. I'm pleased to welcome such a distinguished panel of witnesses to our hearing today. Our witnesses bring to our hearing a wide range of experience and expertise, and I thank them for joining. Our first witness today is Mr. Jeff Kerwin. Jeff is a leading edge corn and soybean farmer from the congressional district that I serve in West Central Illinois. I've known him for several years, and I've appreciated the input he's provided me in serving on the Farm Profitability Task Force on my Ag Advisory Committee. He is a forward thinker in his use of new technology and his business management skills to enhance farm productivity. We appreciate your willingness, Jeff, to appear before us today, and we look forward to your testimony. To introduce our second witness, I'm pleased to yield to our colleague on the subcommittee, the distinguished gentleman from California, Representative Salud Carbajal. Thank you, Chairwoman Bustos. Uh, it is an honor uh, for me to welcome a constituent of mine from the central coast of California to testify before our subcommittee today. Brian Talley is the CEO of Talley Farms and Talley Vineyards in my district. He is a third generation farmer and second generation wine grower who was born and raised in Arroyo Grande, California and began his career in the family business harvesting vegetables when he was 12 years old. Brian went on to earn degrees from UC Berkeley in history and natural resource economics. Brian's family farming operation produces more than 20 different specialty crop commodities, including vegetables, citrus, avocados, and wine grapes. In addition to managing his, his farming operation, Brian also serves as director of Farm Credit West. I look forward to Brian's testimony at our committee today and encourage all my colleagues to try his excellent wines when, the, when you have a chance. Madam Chair, I yield back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Carvajal. To introduce our next witness today, I'm pleased to yield to the ranking member, the distinguished gentleman from Georgia, Mr. Scott. Thank you, Chairwoman Bustos. It's my uh, pleasure to introduce my friend and constituent, Wes Shannon. He and his wife, Rhonda, have been farming with their family in Tiff County, Georgia, for 44 years. Uh, they have survived the 80s, the floods, the droughts, the hurricanes, and, and everything else since then. Uh, they know a tremendous amount and will be able to provide a tremendous amount of insight to the challenges that our farmers face, including transitioning the farm to the next generation. He's a great American, a great farmer, a great friend, and so it's my, my pleasure to introduce the committee to Mr. Wes Shannon. Thank you, Mr. Scott. To introduce our fourth witness, I'm pleased to yield to our distinguished colleague from the, on the subcommittee, the gentlewoman from Minnesota, Ms. Craig. 
Thank you so much, uh, Chairwoman Bustos and the ranking member. I am so pleased to be able to introduce to the subcommittee today, Mr. Rob Tate. Mr. Tate is a farmer and crop insurance agent from just out, outside of Cannon Falls, a great town in southeastern Minnesota. Mr. Tate has worked as a crop insurance agent and crop revenue consultant in Cannon Falls for the past 16 years. He's also a farmer growing corn and soybeans in his fifth generation family farm. Mr. Tate's comprehensive ag background gives him unique and comprehensive insight into issues facing our farmers today, especially when it comes to the importance of crop insurance and a strong farm safety net. In addition to farming, working as a crop insurance agent and advising farmers in his community, he also serves on the board of the Minnesota Corn Growers Association and on various civic boards in our community. Mr. Tate and his wife Kelly have two sons. Thank you, Mr. Tate, for your work in Southeast Minnesota, for taking the time to share your thoughts with us today, taking the time to share your thoughts with me on what we should be doing here in Congress. And with that, Chairwoman Bustos, thank you again for inviting Mr. Tate to testify before the subcommittee today, and I yield back. Thank you, Congresswoman Craig. Our fifth and final witness is Dr. Gary Schnitke. I'm honored that we will be able to hear from Dr. Schnitke today. He's a well-renowned in, he is well-renowned in the farm policy world for his analysis and his insights. He is a professor in the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Economics at the University of Illinois. Much of his work is focused on analyzing the profitability of farms and helping farmers to mitigate risk. He has developed tools to help farmers select commodity programs and crop insurance options. And he writes the weekly farm econ economic, or economics article, which appears every week on the Farm Doc Daily website. Dr. Schnitke, thank you for agreeing to join us today and to share your insights. So welcome to all of our witnesses. We will now proceed to hearing your testimony. You will each have five minutes. The timer should be visible to you on your screen and will count down to zero, at which point your time has expired. We will start with Jeff Kerwin. Mr. Kerwin, please begin when you are ready. Good afternoon and thank you, Madam. Chair Bustos, Ranking Member Scott, and everyone on the committee. I'm Jeff Kerwin, a corn and soybean farmer from New Windsor, Illinois. That's about 20 miles south of the Quad Cities and about 25 miles east of the Mississippi River. I can tell you that the last three years have posed a serious series of major challenges for me, my neighbors, and for farmers across the country. Many of us are still working through those challenges and trying to process what they mean for our industry. In 2018, the previous administration launched a trade war with China, causing prices of soybeans to fall dramatically before they rebounded. In 2019, we witnessed heavy rains and flooding across all of, much of Illinois and the Midwest, causing planting delays, late harvests, grain quality, and storage issues. Then came 2020, a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic that disrupted the ag supply chains across the country in a way that we've never witnessed. COVID wreaked havoc on economic havoc on our industry. Add to that a derecho that caused $4 billion in damages to Iowa farms and millions of dollars worth of damage on our side of the river. Never in recent memory, nor in my farming career, has agriculture become so reliant for such an extended period on emergency assistance. While we might not always express it, Farmers greatly appreciate 
the efforts that Congress and the USDA over the past three years have done to address the magnitude and cumulative impact caused by each of these natural and economic disasters. Crop insurance is a cornerstone of my operation. Our ability to market our grain, manage our risks, and financially survive depends on crop insurance. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in, are invested in a growing crop that can be wiped out in one weather event. And there are broader impacts on the ag economy. Considering what farmers spend on ag inputs, machinery, equipment, and crop protection, we must be successful for everyone else. That's why crop insurance is so critical for our entire industry. On top of crop insurance, looking at the recent past, whether it was CFAP, WIP Plus, or market facilitation payment program payments, the timely emergency assistance that you and the USDA provided allowed farmers like me to meet the challenges, pay our bills, and continue to produce. Through it all, the Farm Safety Net, our PLC, also played a key role in keeping farmers afloat. But in the absence of ad hoc disaster assistance, there's no question those programs and the timing of payments were simply not designed to address extraordinary economic and weather-related disasters. There needs to be a review of these programs and farm organizations need to be part of that conversation. In the big picture, the last three years have demonstrated that the farm safety net, farm programs, and crop insurance performed well. But the recent past has also clearly revealed that the size of the Commodity Credit Corporation has neither kept up with inflation nor the potential for more frequent natural disasters on major production disruptions. As we move forward as an industry, that's something that we must be taken into account. Illinois farmers have been talking about the potential for participating in voluntary carbon markets. We're considering, that we're considering what types of government programs exist and what could develop to incentivize soil carbon and reward producers with a demonstrated track record of soil health practices that sequester carbon. That policy discussion has also highlighted what many farmers consider to be a shortage of NRCS technical assistance. Finally, USDA's recent announcement creating a pandemic cover crop program is welcomed by my fellow Illinois producers, many of whom have taken advantage of our $5 per acre crop insurance discount offered the last two years by the Illinois Department of Ag. I'd like to thank the chair, the ranking member and committee for the opportunity to testify and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Kerwin. Mr. Talley, please begin when you're ready. Madam Chair and members of the committee, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you today. I have participated in the federal crop insurance program for more than 20 years for lemons, avocados, and wine grapes at the catastrophic level, which means that we must suffer a loss of more than half of our crop for a claim to pay off. And during our history in the program, we've experienced losses and had claims paid in all three of our insured commodities. Some of these losses have been associated with catastrophic events like the historic freeze of 2007 that infected the entire state of California and resulted in significant frost damage and losses in my lemon orchard. More than half of my crop either fell on the ground or was sent to be juiced with almost no return. Other times, these have been more subtle events, such as in 2017, when uh, El Nino conditions resulted in poor pollination and production of less than half of my normal avocado crop in 2018. 
In each of these instances, I've been pleased with the service that I've received to get my claims paid uh, in a timely manner. And I consider the role of independent crop insurance agents who provide the service in terms of uh, collection of premiums and payment of claims to be one of the strengths of the crop insurance program. And I hope that there will always be a role for independent insurance agents in the program. Moving forward to more recent events, I'd like to talk a little bit about 2020 uh, when much of the West Coast was impacted by devastating wildfires. I'm blessed that the crops that I grow were largely unaffected because we had no major wildfires in San Luis Obispo County. And though the smoke was nearly unbearable for days on end, um, we did not experience any smoke taint in our wines. Other wine growers were not so fortunate and many will be faced with a total loss of the 2020 vintage or a difficult choice between selling a damaged product with their name on it selling off inventory uh, in bulk at a loss or simply dumping it down the drain. A leading expert in the California wine industry, John uh, Mora Marco, has estimated that losses will reach $3.7 billion uh, due to the wildfires of 2020 and that impacts will be felt um, into the year 2023. Everyone I talk to in the wine industry assumes that this will be an ongoing challenge. Scientists and consulting winemakers are extremely focused on establishing new protocols to treat smoke-tainted wine. But having dealt with smoke-tainted grapes in 2015 due to a local wildfire and comparing notes with colleagues recently, I can assure you that the technology does not exist to truly fix smoke-tainted wine. On a somewhat related note, I would like to share with you that just a few weeks ago, we learned that Nationwide Insurance, who handles the liability insurance for our companies, made the decision to exit the California market in many agricultural sectors. As I understand it, this decision was uh, largely driven by losses due to wildfires over the past three years. And I recognize that this is not within the purview of this committee, but wanted to make you aware of the challenges that uh, farmers in California face as we move forward. And while I'm not going to dwell on the is issues associated with current drought uh, conditions, which are extreme, I will tell you that the lack of rainfall and insufficient groundwater are just adding to the challenges that we face here in California. In closing, I wanna emphasize that I view the federal crop insurance program to be a fundamental element of the safety net that secures the survival of domestic food production, which I consider to be uh, of critical national importance for all Americans. I hope that any changes contemplated to the federal crop insurance program only serve to strengthen it. Thank you very much uh, for taking my testimony today. Thank you, Mr. Talley. Mr. Shannon, please begin when you're ready. Thank you, Congressman Scott, for that introduction. Madam Chair, Congressman Bishop and other committee members, thank you all for the opportunity to be with you today. I'm Wes Shannon, a farmer from Tiff County, Georgia, part of Georgia's 8th Congressional District. My grandfather was a farmer, my father was a farmer, an agricultural researcher with the University of Georgia. Throughout my years in the agriculture industry, I have been active with several groups that advocate for farmers, including Georgia Peanut Commission, National Peanut Board, Georgia Farm Bureau, National Cotton Council. I've also been involved with a peanut buying point and a cotton gin. 
I began working as a farm on the farm before I even graduated high school. Our farm grew peanuts, corn, soybeans, hogs, and cattle. It was in those early days on the farm that I realized the importance of a strong farm safety net. My first experience with crop failure was in 1977 when our corn crop was negatively impacted by drought and aflatoxin. Three years later in 1980, I took out an operator loan from a local bank, planted my first peanut crop, drought and insects caused the crop to fail. At the end of that first crop year, I had a negative net worth. My, family, my wife and I were married in 1981. We bought our first farm in 1985. In 1990, we purchased an adjoining farm that we had been renting. We lived frugally with the plan to pay those mortgages off as soon as possible because we'd seen what debt had done to so many farmers during those tough times. We were set to have our farms paid for by the time we were 40 years old. And then came the drought decade of the 90s. It seemed as if every year was dry, except for 1994, when a tropical storm flooded Albany, Georgia, 40 miles west. A storm in October that year, right around peanut harvest time, made the field so wet, harvest was almost impossible. We were able to pay off both farms, but our carryover debt by the time was quite large. And another drought short crop in 2000, we had to refinance both our farms. We were basically starting over again and buy the same farm for the second time due to natural disasters. We worked through the first decade of this century as carefully as we could while trying to raise a son and daughter, pay for our farms all over again. Our farms produced pretty well, but there was never anything extra left over. I'm now in my early 60s, and despite the assistance we have received from safety net programs, I've had to refinance our two farms for the third time. Our dream of having our farms paid for continues to evade us. Our stress and anxiety levels remain high. I wish I could tell you that our experience is an isolated case, but it is not. Many farmers across the South could share similar stories. My family's story and the stories of our fellow farmers in the area are exactly why we need a very strong safety net. Crop insurance is a vital tool for farmers and Congress must not do anything to undermine it. I do believe the crop insurance program could be improved. I would like to see a crop insurance program that better covers our cost of production. If we are making a 10% profit with a good crop, that's one thing, but if we are insured at a 75% level, we must lose 25% before we can even collect indemnities. We simply do not have that kind of profit margin. Title I programs are another very important tool for farmers. For me, the peanut and seed cotton programs are a must. These programs should be continued at a level that will allow me to service my farm debts during tough times. Increasing reference prices or a percentage of base acres on which farmers can collect would be ideal. Congress should also maintain the separate payment limit for peanut programs. Peanuts are a unique cost-intensive crop which require equipment that cannot be used for any other purpose on our farm. I've heard that Con Chairman David Scott would like to establish a permanent disaster program. I believe this is an idea of a lot of farmers in our state could get behind. Though a new program couldn't come at the expense of existing safety net, having a standing program in place would remove the political challenges associated with ad hoc disaster bills and hopefully get assistance to where it is needed in a more timely manner. Family farms have always been and hopefully will continue to be 
the backbone of rural economies in this country. It is our job as farmers to provide food, fiber, and shelter to the American people and others across the world. I urge you all to do everything in your power to help farmers continue the important work we do. Thank you again, Mr. Scott, for the invitation and introduction. Madam Chair and committee members, thank you all for the time and attention today. I would be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shannon. Mr. Tate, please begin when you're ready. Chairwoman Bustos, uh, Ranking Member Scott, and members of the subcommittee, thank you for holding this hearing today. My name is Rob Tate. I'm a farmer, crop insurance agent, and crop revenue consultant, which means I work with fellow farmers to help them develop comprehensive risk management strategies for their farms. I'm also a board member of the Minnesota Corn Growers Association. My wife, Kelly, is a healthcare worker providing palliative care, and we raised two boys, Logan and Jonathan, just outside of Cannon Falls, Minnesota, where we're represented by uh, Angie Craig, who I know had something to do with my invitation to testify today. Thank you, Congresswoman. I grew up in Farmington, a Twin City suburb, but now I live in Cannon Falls on the family farm that my ancestors homesteaded generations ago. Uh, we love living and working on our fifth generation family farm. And as a uh, crop revenue consultant, I look at the whole financial picture of farmers uh, I help with, and today I wanna mainly focus on crop insurance, a strong farm bill safety net and an ad hoc relief um, that you provided over the past several years have been vital to the survival of farm families. MFP, CFAP, WIP Plus, and the pandemic assistance for producers have not been perfect, but I would not want to imagine what farm country would look like without them. American agriculture has been an economic ditch for about seven years before we started to reemerge earlier this year. Thanks to the rising global demand and higher commodity prices, it's a relief. The overreaching theme in my testimony this morning, or excuse me, this afternoon, is the federal crop insurance is an absolute mainstay for the rural Minnesota and farm families like mine. If Washington does anything on farm policy, it should first do no harm to crop insurance. Secondly, for producers um, in regions and crops where the program's not working optimally, I'd urge Congress and USDA to work um, with producers to address these situations through the 508H process, uh, research and development and pilot programs, which are all authorized under the statute. Farming is a very risky business and the stakes keep getting higher and higher. Crop insurance is not only vital to producers in recovering from natural disasters, but it's also essential in securing credit. The best way to help beginning farmers, socially disadvantaged farmers, or other producers who, like me in my early years, may not have had a lot of capital at their disposal is to help these producers manage their risk through federal crop insurance. We grow, mainly grow corn and soybeans in my area, though we've had a good crop mix in Minnesota, dairy and livestock as well. For years, livestock and dairy were underserved by crop insurance, but now roughly 35% of the milk marketed in the United States is insured under crop insurance. Over 700,000 head of cattle are insured under the LRP or livestock risk protection. These two great precedents about what can be done for underserved producers using policy development authorities under crop insurance. The innovations that built a successful crop insurance program began in 1980 when Congress turned the sales and servicing of insurance over to the private sector. Now an indemnity is usually received within 30 days of a finalized claim. This is incredibly efficient, especially when compared to disaster programs where it can take years. In 1994 and 2000, Congress increased the premium discount for farmers to encourage producer participation in crop insurance at higher coverage levels. 
These innovations achieved great success and largely eliminated the need for ad hoc disaster until the first WIP program in 2017. And finally, another innovation is uh, Dr. Art Barnaby's development of the revenue coverage products. These innovations have caused federal crop insurance to take off over the last 41 years. Importantly, there are more premiums paid into the system than indemnities paid out. Farmers have skin in the game. One area where there's room for improvement is on deductibles. A farmer has a deductible on the face of his policy. Um, if he has a 75% coverage, he has to lose 25% of his crop before he can collect indemnity beyond that. The other is a hidden deductible when the APH, the amount that he can insure based upon past yields, lags behind what they can actually produce. Trend-adjusted yields, yield conclusions are examples where Congress, RMA, private sector development have worked hard to tackle a problem, but there's still room for, um, still room for improvement. As we continue to work on improving crop insurance, I appreciate Chairman Scott's interest in standing disaster program as a potential bridge that complements rather than undermines crop insurance. That does not result in lower crop insurance participation or coverage levels. Finally, I hope to steer you away from a couple of things as policymakers. There have been proposals in the past that would undo every success of crop insurance and return it to the days when it did not work for farmers. Cutting premium discounts, eliminating the harvest price option, private sector delivery, undermining producer confidentiality, and imposing pay limits and AGI testing um, are proposals that would be extremely harmful. Thank you, and uh, I hope my testimony has been helpful, and I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you, Mr. Tate. Uh, Dr. Schnitke, our final witness uh, for today, uh, please begin when you're ready. Uh, Chairman Bustos and members of this subcommittee, I thank you for the opportunity to address you today. I am a professor in farm management and work with uh, farmers in Illinois and the Midwest as they make their farm management and risk management decisions. As has been mentioned a number of times, the last five years have been tumultuous in agriculture with many detrimental impacts. The trade disputes in 2018 caused uh, commodity prices to fall. Weather and agricultural disasters occurred, including hurricanes, wildfires, and wet weather. In the Midwest, heavy rainfall in the late latter half of 2018 through 2019 caused flooding and widespread delays in preventive planning. In 2020, the coronavirus and its attendant controls measures led to severe supply chain issues, particularly for livestock and dairy producers. According to the ERS, the net farm income in the United States fell from a high of $140 billion in 2012 to an average of $74 billion from 2016 to 2019. Incomes projected are rebounded to a forecast of 123 billion in 2020, but the trade disputes, weather issues, along with high yields contributing to abundant supply led to these lower incomes. Without the federal safety net, farm incomes would have been much lower. Payments from farm safety net programs and net insurance payments were 20% of the net income in 2018, 33% in 2019, and 59% in 2020. Traditional farm safety net programs, and that would include the commodity title and crop insurance programs, did provide support from 2018 to, 2019, to 2020. However, a great deal of the support came from three additional sources. First, we were congressionally passed disaster le legislation leading to the WIP and WIP Plus programs. 
The administration instituted market facilitation program payments to counter adverse impacts of trade disputes and the CFAT program to, to counter COVID-19 control measures. Finally, the small business administration programs, including the payment projection program and idle programs provided uh, support. One hopes that the worst of the trade disputes and COVID control measures are behind us, but there is no guarantee of that. Still, the justification for the MFP and CFAT programs may have exposed weaknesses to the existing commodity title programs. Many commodities, including corn and soybeans, had low prices in recent years, including 2018 and 2019. For example, market year average prices for soybeans were 848 per bushel in 2018 and 857 in 2019, their lowest levels since 2006. In both 2018 and 2019, those soybean prices did not trigger PLC payments and ARC payments were at a relatively modest level of 50, 563 million for soybeans in 2019. WIP Plus provided relief for many producers and included additional payments for crops protected by federally regulated crop insurance programs and national non-insured disaster assistance. In addition, prevent plant payments in 2019 were increased either 15 or 10%. Those additional payments were, were, were helped offset the the support or may prevent plant more equal to the, the support provided by the MFP payments for planted crops. These uh, program payments perhaps signal needed changes to strengthen existing crop insurance programs such that additional ad hoc programs are less needed in the future. Revisiting payment rating issues may aid in the process as well. From 2015 to 2018, the loss ratio on all federal products averaged 0.67, well below target ratios. Corn and soybeans had lower ratios, respectively at 0.52 and 0.53. Many commodities have had higher prices since late summer 2020 and income looked better in 2021. This more robust output differs from what many, myself included, would have not expected last year at this time. And that just illustrates how situations can change abruptly in, in agriculture. The committee's evaluation of the efficacy of the programs is timely as the safety net will continue to come into play into the future. Thank you, Dr. Schnitke. At this time, members will be recognized for questions in order of seniority, alternating between majority and minority members. You will be recognized for five minutes each in order to allow us to get to as many questions as possible. Please keep your microphones muted until you are recognized in order to minimize background noise. I will recognize myself for five minutes. And just so um, our witnesses know, uh, we have been called for votes over on the House floor. So um, I will be going in and out of the, the chair here and Mr. Carbajal will be filling in for me. Uh, Mr. Scott went over to vote, he will be back. So just wanna make sure that our witnesses knew that. Um, I'm going to uh, start out by saying thank you very much to all of you for your, for your testimony. Um, it's obviously clear that we have a lot of agricultural production uh, represented here and different impacts and challenges that you've faced in the, in the recent years. I very much appreciate the perspective that all of our witnesses have provided for us today and look forward to discussing several issues with you. I'm going to start out with my uh, line of questioning to Dr. Schnitke. Uh, the drought 
obviously has absolutely ravaged the West Coast in the Upper Plains, and now we're starting to see it creep into the Midwest. In my congressional district, the upper uh, four counties in my congressional district are beginning to see that impact. Um, wondering, Dr. Schnitke, what are the measurable economic impacts that we've seen so far, and what do you see going forward? Yeah, so, so and again, there is a widespread drought in the western part of the part of the country, and uh, again, we will see those areas uh, suffer from a yield standpoint, and and we could again see that particularly now in Iowa and hopefully in western Illinois. Hopefully, that will break in the future, but uh, one never knows that. Um, um, you know, the 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 yield the the, the the attendant yield losses associated with those uh, with those those situations can result in, in harm to those operations, and um, and and um, and crop insurance will aid in covering those 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 losses if uh, particularly for for commodity type uh, uh, agriculture. So what does the participation in crop insurance look like um, in, in the West Coast and the Upper Plains, and how does that compare to the Midwest? You know, I don't have specific uh, knowledge of what the West Coast participation would look like. In the Midwest, corn and soybeans is, is, is federally insured right at the 90% mark. Uh, my understanding is that it would be less than that in the western part of the country. Can you talk a little bit, Dr. Schnitke, about how the University of Illinois' farm program decision tool was developed and what sort of factors are incorporated into the recommendations that are made to farmers? Yeah, our tools work across the United States and was, were developed with the, with the aid of funding from the Federal Chief Office of Chief Economist several, several farm bills to go now. But what we do is make projections of prices and at the point of time at which farmers have to make those decisions and provide farmers a comparison between PLC and Art County for those, uh, for, those uh, for the particular crops in every county in the, in the United States. Um, the, the farmers, uh, again, you know, obviously projections are what they are um, and are, are made at a at a time when you don't know what prices or yields will, will be. Um, for example, we made projections on March, uh, prior to the March 15th deadline for, for the current sign up year. Um, we find, or many of the farmers find those useful not only from giving an expectation of payments for the, for the coming marketing year, but also for looking at how those items will, will impact risk. And obviously that varies over time as uh, prices change and our county benchmark, uh, benchmark prices change as well as we move through time. All right, thank you, Dr. Schnitke. I'm going to uh, switch over to Jeff Kerwin. Um, Jeff, again, thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time to be one of our witnesses today. Um, wanted to ask you um, how the risk management tools like crop insurance have worked for you. And, and, and the reason I'm asking, Jeff, is that as this subcommittee conducts oversight of the 2018 Farm Bill implementation, and, and we're also looking to lay the groundwork for the 2023 Farm Bill, um, how can we make the tools work better? You know, so they're very successful now. I've, I look back at my farming career 
and the importance of crop insurance as I was a young undercapitalized farmer and it allowed me to access to credit. Um, it solidified, you know, allowed me to market my products maybe before, well, we had an opportunity to do that at a profitable level. So I, you know, if anything, it's to keep where we're at and, and build on it. And I would say anything that we can do to increase the amount of coverage, whether that's top up type programs or the additions to get into those higher percentages of an insured crop or insuring the crop would be a, a real benefit. All right, thank you very much again, Jeff. I really appreciate you being here. Um, I am out of time, so uh, I, at this point, I will yield to uh, Mr. Rouser, the gentleman from North Carolina, for five minutes. Thank you, Madam Chair, and I appreciate the um, uh, panelists uh, for being uh, with us today, although I wish we were all here in person. I'm, I'm still trying to get used to all this Zoom, but uh, hopefully here in the near future, uh, things will be back to normal uh, in Congress. Um, Southeastern North Carolina, and this is true all across the country, uh, you have disasters. Uh, in southeastern North Carolina, we get hit with hurricanes, um, early freezes, uh, too much rainfall uh, just due to a regular uh, 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 thunderstorm that uh, ends up uh, flooding my district. Um, uh, there's obviously disasters of all types that happen all over the country. Uh, this question is for the entire panel, uh, basically, or whoever wishes uh, uh, to chime in. But I'd like to know what you think has worked well with um, the ad hoc disaster programs that have been put in place. And, and granted, um, oftentimes they come late in the game. Uh, there will be a disaster, and it takes Congress a while to figure out exactly how we want to handle it. Uh, but in but those times when we have put ad hoc uh, disaster programs in place, whether it's related to the pandemic or, or, or uh, disaster or directly disaster related, I'd be curious what you th think uh, has worked well and what you think, uh, you know, has really been a, uh, uh, a real obstacle that uh, Congress just never seems to get right. I'll just throw that open for any, anyone and everyone that wants to uh, uh, weigh in. I would, I would weigh in that they, all of the MMP, the CFAT program, and the WIP Plus program did provide needed support dur during these last three years when, when, when things were up, up in the air. Um, uh, it's often difficult for farmers and, uh, to make and and economists to provide information to farmers to make decisions as those are formulated. And uh, one of those key times was during the 2019 uh, prevent plant decisions, but uh, um, those, uh, the, 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 the difficulty in making decisions when you don't know what the programs are, it's always something to, 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 uh, to consider and having a, having a, Knowing what the policy is is always, a, in my opinion, a good thing. Anybody else have an opinion? The MFP money moved pretty fast, and that was that was one thing we appreciated about that. If we qualified for it, we got it. It came in a hurry. Uh, the whip money, maybe not so much, and we might qualify for some money and then get factored down. 
uh, and then the timeliness of it coming, many farmers had already made some other arrangements before that quick money got to us. But thank y'all for everything you've done for us. If I, if I could, you know, and I don't have as much experience uh, with, with crop insurance, I think, as uh, some of my fellow farmers on the panel. But, you know, I'm a big advocate for involving the private sector. As I said in my comments, I think independent insurance agents um, play a vital role. And, you know, for us, PPP was uh, a huge benefit and being able to deal, you know, directly with the bank or, you know, banks uh, to secure that support was critical. So the private sector plays an important role. So I would chime in that a uh, little bit to what um, Dr. Schnitke had said that I can tell you that in 19, I was in an area that was severely affected by the flooding and drought or the flooding and, and prevent plant. And those were very tough decisions to make, not knowing and, and really crop insurance isn't bound until you plant the crop. So not having the crop planted and facing deadlines and trying to make decisions with that. So certainty definitely is important and the faster and easier that you can make it and uh, helping us through those decisions. And I sure can't complain through the, the implementation of some of the other programs, but um, that, that is a stressful time in a farm when you, ha you have situations like that. I'd have to agree with the other panelists here. Um, obviously crop insurance serves very well in many of these cases, but these extra programs have been extremely beneficial. Um, me personally on my farm, I, I applied for a whip payment and uh, it took a long time to get that whip payment. Um, and in fact, it was on my 18 crop and I didn't get it paid until you know just recently. So um, there's a long time in that lag time in there, I guess would be my only complaint. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, my time has expired. Thank you. Um, Ms. Craig, are you here yet? I know you went to go vote. Not hearing uh, from Ms. Craig, I will recognize myself. Uh, Mr. Talley, my questions will be directed to you. Over the past decade, California has become more prone to weather extremes, and the Central Coast is no exception. Our community has felt the climate crisis in a multitude of ways, more severe droughts, increasing frequency of heat waves and record-setting wildfires. Unfortunately, we're likely to see and are already seeing another active year-round wildfire season and extreme drought conditions. Mr. Talley, could you talk about current drought conditions, how they are affecting your operations and other farmers in California, and what you expect to happen to the crops if the situation doesn't improve? Well, um, thank you, Congressman uh, Carbajal, both for the question and you know for the, the opportunity to, to talk to folks today. Uh, speaking of wildfires, um, there's actually a county right now just to, to the north of us that is um, already impacting um, uh, basically air quality uh, in, in the Bay Area. And, you know, that's, that's one of the real issues with, with wildfire in the West now. It's not so much that, that we fear that, you know, our, uh, you know, structures will be burned down or that kind of thing, at least right where we're located, but the air quality, which has such uh, deleterious effects on both people and in some cases um, on, on the crops that we grow. And, you know, that's really um, what my comments were about with respect to uh, smoke taint in, in wine. 
Um, in terms of the drought, uh, it does appear that we are headed into, uh, or we've, we've already, according to the uh, National Drought Monitor, um, we are in severe drought uh, at this time. And I can tell you what the decisions that we're making right now are about following ground where we have uh, insufficient uh, groundwater to basically support the crops that we would, uh, would normally grow. And so uh, it, it is, it's a real challenge going forward and I'm not quite sure what else to say other than that. Thank you, Mr. Talley. Uh, continuing, wine grapes are the second largest valued crop in my district, which is why I've continuously advocated for critical disaster assistance for growers who were impacted by smoke taint. Mr. Talley, as a producer, can you talk about the impact of smoke on the quality of grapes and what it means for the price a farmer may receive? Well, again, as, as I pointed out in my testimony, it's, it's really um, a wide ranging effect. And um, even though you know we had days here where we were just completely inundated by smoke, uh, we quite frankly were, were blessed to have none of our wines actually affected by smoke taint. Again, um, growers, wine growers just to the north of us in, in Monterey County. I, I mean, I, I know people personally who will have zero revenue um, from their operations associated with, with the 2020 vintage. Uh, they either made the decision not to harvest the crop or in some cases um, harvested the crop, produced wine that they then um, determined was completely unsaleable. And, uh, you know, this is, this is becoming a problem all over the world. I mean, it started in Australia probably more than a decade ago. And there are a lot of folks that are putting a lot of effort into trying to figure out how to, to cure um, this problem. And having dealt with it once personally, I can tell you that, that um, uh, the remediation of the problem is, is severe. It requires... Um, uh, very invasive uh, filtration of the wine. And even after we go through that process, which is also expensive, there's really no guarantee that what we're going to get uh, is actually a saleable product. And so, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a challenge that we're uh, basically trying to resolve with, uh, with technology at this point. Mr. Talley, just to continue on that point, in your testimony, you mentioned how uh, scientists are looking to establish new protocols to treat smoke-tainted wine, and I think you touched on that briefly. Can you further explain why efforts uh, to treat smoke-tainted wine have been unsuccessful? Well, because again, the, the only solution that we have now is this filtration process, and unfortunately, it's, it strips the wine of more of the character that we want uh, than the deleterious uh, effects. Thank you very much, Mr. Telly. I'm out of time, and I will uh, now recognize uh, ranking member of uh, this of this committee uh, of our larger committee, uh, Mr. G.T. Thompson. Well, uh, Ms. Carvalho, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, I want to say thank you to Chairwoman Bustos and ranking member. Austin Scott, and thank you to all of the witnesses that are here to offer their unique perspectives on the farm safety net. 
You know, when I was uh, selected to be the Republican leader on the Agriculture Committee, I made it clear that my number one priority was to rebuild a robust rural economy. So that starts at the farm gate. If farmers and ranchers can be profitable in the good years, then our rural communities will thrive. Unfortunately, the good years seem to be few and far between, and our producers face risks and challenges that are unfathomable to, to most Americans. Farming has always been a risky enterprise, but it sure seems to be even more volatile than ever before, whether it be a natural disaster that can wipe out a crop at a moment's notice, uh, a foreign government that interferes with a market, or a pandemic that disrupts the entire supply chain, producers are in for a constant battle to remain viable. And that is why a strong safety net is a critical piece of rebuilding the, a robust rural economy. Chairman Scott has made several comments about needing to work on disaster assistance for our producers, and I agree with him. Uh, the past several years have shown us how costly and inefficient ad hoc assistance can be. Rather than wait for an act of Congress, farmers need reliable assistance that only a standing program can provide, and there is no better example of a program that responds quickly when needed than crop insurance. And above all else, we must first do no harm to the existing safety net. I have three guiding principles for any potential standing disaster program. Number one, it must complement, not compete with crop insurance. Number two, it should be easy to implement. And number three, it should be reliable and respond quickly to disaster events. Uh, if Chairman Scott is willing to work within those three principles, and I really very much look forward to work with him to craft the best policy possible. No, no member or single party has ever had a monopoly on good ideas uh, here in Washington, and working together to achieve a common goal will undoubtedly render a, a better outcome. So while we're on that subject, I was hoping that those of you that have uh, our witnesses that have experience with participating in the WIP disaster program could provide your brief thoughts on the effectiveness of that program and if, if continued, how it should be modified to better meet the needs of your operation. So I'll leave that open to whatever the witnesses would might like to weigh in on that first. If I could uh, speak to that, uh, Ranking Member Thompson. Um, I think uh, my personal experience with it on my farm and even seen with some of my insureds, you know, all the data is there on the WIP program to be able to um, implement that through the, the crop insurance industry, maybe a little bit quicker than the folks at the Farm Service Agency. They've been inundated with a lot of programs and have done ex exceptionally good with that, don't get me wrong, but um, they have a lot of other work to be done and I think maybe the crop insurance industry could implement that a little quicker. Very good, thank you. Any any other witnesses like to weigh in on that? Uh, any experience with the WIP program? WIP was pretty pretty important to South Georgia, especially after Hurricane Michael, but that was the third of the hurricanes in a row that we had dealt with. And like some of the other panelists had mentioned, we waited uh, quite a while, months into years before we got some of that WIP money. Uh, if we can get something uh, that's, that's set in stone, that you can, you have a disaster and you can get some money moving quicker, that would be wonderful to the three things you mentioned. Yes, yes, yes. We'd love something like that. Uh, Hermine in 16, Armin in 17, and Michael in 18. And after the Hurricane Michael in 18, I got to say thank you to Congressman Scott and Congressman Bishop for 
we're coming to the, to the table and working on that together in a bipartisan way that got some money to Georgia that was definitely needed. If it hadn't been, it would have been devastating to the rural economy. Thank you all. Well, I know uh, working with the ranking member for a number of years, his, his frustration with, uh, with um, you know, when relief was not timely. Sometimes we've, uh, with, with the delay, the reliability and the delay of it, uh, people are unfortunately have, are out of the farming practices till the, till the help arrives. Any, any uh, with a few seconds I have left, any comments for any input from any of the other witnesses? Yeah, I just concur with uh, the fellow from Minnesota, the fact that the timeliness of it could have been better. Um, but, and it was a fairly compact, complex formula, so something of, of easier and, and more of a, a design program would be better. All right, very good. And um, Chairwoman, uh, my time has expired. Thank you so much. Thank you. For five minutes to Congresswoman Angie Craig from Minnesota. Thank you so much, uh, so much, Chairwoman Bustos, Ranking Member Scott, and thank you, uh, Representative Carbajal, for doing such a great job in her stead. Um, thanks so much for calling this hearing to focus on the farm safety net. It really couldn't come at a better time uh, as we transition out of the COVID pandemic response and into what we all hope will be a period of more predictability for our farmers and producers. Thank you to all of the testifiers today. Uh, it's clear based on your testimony and the conversations I've been having with folks in southeastern Minnesota that the farm safety net and specific risk management tools like crop insurance are more important than ever. Federal crop insurance has been a success story because it's actu actuarially sound and consistently works for farmers. Its uh, timelines and parameters are predictable and it enables farmers to plan risk management strategies that best suit their operations. As Mr. Tate mentioned, it's been a vital tool for him as he helps Minnesota farmers in my district navigate the intense volatility of these past few years. From beginning farmers planting their first crop to farmers like Mr. Tate who is planting his 30th, crop insurance is a vital tool. With that focus in mind, I'd like to follow up with you, Mr. Tate, on a few points I'm hoping you can expand on. First of all, I'm hoping you can speak more about revenue protection. In your testimony, you mentioned that revenue protection policies have become the most popular crop insurance policy type and can offer protection for market price decreases. However, in years where there are low spring and fall prices for a commodity, a revenue policy would not, would not trigger a loss based on price declines. Are there crop insurance products out there that protect against long periods of low prices? Would it be helpful if USDA looked into new insurance products to address this risk? Thank you, Congressman Craig. Um, yeah, so the revenue protection policy is is very common in our area. Um, in fact, I would say, you know, probably almost, if not 100%, probably 95 plus percent of my customers have a revenue type protection um, insurance product. Um, with that being said, is there some limitations to that product in years where the spring price is low and the fall price is low? Yes, um, there is. And I think that's part of the reason where um, Congress and the Farm Bill had developed the 
ARC and PLC program to deal with the systemic losses that may happen over multiple years. Um, it would be beneficial if we could develop something on the federal crop side that would deal with those issues as well um, and maybe top up those payments. Um, the one thing I guess, and I don't mean to jump ahead or jump around on your question too much, but when we're dealing with the volatility of the markets and what, it, what what's been going on here, and then also in our areas, you know, um, we've also experienced a fair amount of dryness. Um, having the harvest price option where we get that protection when prices are higher is very important to us as well. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Rob, thank you so much. That answered my question, and it also took uh, my second question for you. So maybe I'll just um, uh, ask you, are there any other, um, given uncertainty over weather events, uh, dry season, commodity prices, trade uncertainty, all of these things, um, you know, how do you help farmers navigate the various options they have for managing risk, and how does crop insurance typically fall uh, within that list? Well, as we've been talking about, crop insurance provides a, a predictability to what the income stream is for the farmers. Um, having that initial base price, spring price, to set the floor or the minimum um, amount of coverage is great. And then when a lot of the farmers I work with will sell against that guarantee um, to help manage the price risk as well. Um, and so that, um, that program is has done very well to manage that risk. And the one area you're pointing out in your first question is, is if we get multiple years of that, can that be problematic? And yes, it can be. Um, but right now, this year, as I talk to many of my clients, I mean, yes, we, we know we have some challenging uh, production issues, but given the backdrop of crop insurance and the predictability it provides, um, most of my clients feel pretty good about things right now. Well, thank you so much for your work. Thank you all for your testimony. And with that, Madam Chair, I yield back. Thank you, Congresswoman. I now recognize the gentleman from Georgia, Ranking Member Austin Scott. I want to uh, ask Mr. Shannon a question, but I want to first follow up with Mr. Tate since he is a, a crop insurance agent. And uh, my question, Mr. Tate, gets to uh, production and the average yields. Any suggestions on how we can do more to help beginning and young farmers, those who are starting out? And then in years where we have these natural disasters, like we had with Hurricane Michael, where we have widespread total losses, um, suggestions on how we're able to get how we handle that that yield of zero that goes in there. I know that uh, I guess you can put the county average in there, but if you you know if you're a good farmer, your yield is historically significantly higher than the county average uh, in many cases. Any suggestions on how we deal with production yields for beginning young farmers, and in the cases of of the disasters where we have total losses? Yeah, actually, we, we do have ways of dealing with that, um, not just on young beginning farmers, but in, in all producers, um, where they can substitute in a T yield for that county in those years where you have a, um, a widespread loss and maybe you have to take a zero in your APH database. Um, that helps support that, that coverage. Um, in terms of helping out the young beginning farmers, um, you know, I, we have a, a premium, additional premium subsidy that's there, and I have several um, young farmers that I work with that have taken advantage of that, and that's been very helpful to them as well. Well, th thank you for that. I, I guess it's just, you know, being insured for the average yield simply won't, uh, in most cases, cover your, cover your cost. Uh, 
Mr. Shannon, you, you, you mentioned the disaster. Uh, Chair, uh, Ranking Member Thompson took my question for the most part, but uh, glad you, that you recognized my, my colleagues, Cong Congressman Bishop and David Scott and I. Uh, as you know, the original estimate from USDA was $1 billion. The estimates that we had from uh, the extension agencies in, in the states significantly exceeded what we were able to end up with, with the $3 billion. Um, could you speak again to the shortcomings that you noticed in the WHIP and, and what, we, what we developed and what we called the WHIP Plus program and how we could improve it if we were uh, to make it a permanent program? And do you have any thoughts? I know that that particular year, especially on our dry land cotton, we, our yields were significantly higher than the averages on whether or not we should allow a farmer to step up their coverage uh, based on the crop that is actually uh, above the ground before it's harvested. Yes, sir. Uh, start out with that. Uh, timeliness was a real problem with the WIP program. Uh, most folks had made some other arrangements by the time they got WIP money. Uh, others didn't get WIP money. Maybe had gotten some other assistance and we didn't qualify for it or they qualified for money that uh, got factored down and was not there to, to help. State of Georgia come through with some loans that helped a lot of folks. It happened in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. Hadn't been for that, there probably would have been a lot of other guys, farmers, men and women and families went out of, out of the farming business and it would have terribly affected uh, businesses all over South, Southwest Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, anything new uh, certainly would be something that uh, we have the disaster and with a short period of time, the money's already moving. Uh, we saw some things last year that moved real well uh, with the market assistance money, it didn't take long to get out. It got done. It was simple. Uh, I think something along some of those lines would, would work well. We seem to continue to burden our FSA offices or, or people working there with more and more uh, programs that just are complicated. Uh, the simpler we can make them to get the money moving, I think, is a, a good thing. So, so for, for people who aren't from the southeast, what happened in Georgia with Hurricane Michael? Our state legislature, and correct me on this if, if I'm wrong, Mr. Shannon, our state legislature actually went into a special session and created a loan program that actually helped uh, some of our farmers get through until, until the payments from the disaster relief uh, were, ma were made available. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, they went into session and within in just a few days they had something hammered out. Uh, within a month or so, uh, people were qualifying for it. And but now, let's remember this was was any of the loan. I have one of those too uh, that is being paid back uh, and has to be paid back. My uh, my time's about to expire, but the the, the key aspect of this that I want to make sure people understand is that uh, farmers have to pay off their notes, their operating notes, before they're able to borrow the money again for the, for the next crop year, and so. One of the reasons that I advocate, as, as Chairman Scott does, for some type of disaster program or, or better crop insurance program for our farmers is when these things like Hurricane Michael happen, we need to get the, the payments to the farmers significantly, significantly faster than happened in Hurricane Michael. And uh, with that, Madam Chair, I appreciate you indulging me for the 25 seconds that I ran over. Thank you, Mr. Scott. I now recognize the gentleman from Florida, Mr. Lawson. Uh, thank you very much, Madam Chair, and uh, to uh, you and Ranking Member Scott uh, for holding this uh, very important hearing. And 
And I can tell you that uh, there's no doubt, I guess all of us know uh, that the adverse western climate changes is threatening our industry as performers and ranchers. Uh, sadly, uh, it occurs a great deal in the 5th Congress District that uh, really voters, uh, 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 Congressman Scott, uh, uh, from hurricane and floods, you know, uh, uh, the challenge that we've had from Hurricane Michael and Irma, uh, I heard, uh, and I won't try to bring it back again, about all of the situation about the WHIP program and how critical it has been uh, to farmers, but there seem to be some recommendation that needs to be made, how slow the process is and heard about the state legislature. Uh, you know, sometimes we think that, you know, government have too much uh, uh, interference and on program and stuff, but I would hate to think, like up in Georgia, if it hadn't been for the government, uh, if they're meeting, uh, as uh, Mr. Tate said, uh, to iron out some problems with just some of the disaster relief money could actually set in. Uh, and this question would be uh, to er everyone, uh, the Farmer Service Agency, uh, FHA, FSA, is essential to agriculture community, especially in the aftermath of natural disasters. Can you all discuss the ways uh, uh, that you believe the FHA uh, can improve its response to the communities that have been affected by natural disaster? And that's uh, to the whole uh, committee. Mr. Shanwell, I think we can start off with you. Yes, uh, one thing probably my local office would like to have was some more help. Those ladies and gentlemen have been working overtime as much as possible to get these programs done. Uh, this uh, quality assistance program that uh, they were working on when they were not supposed to be working, maybe, so to speak. They were not even in the office, but they were still working. Uh, well, some hips of those offices would be great. That's, that's a good recommendation. Anyone else? I definitely would agree. I know our office was short staffed through a lot of this, and we've had a lot of turnover. And so anything that we can do to add more staff uh, to, to help. And then I'd also encourage um, relationships within the other agencies in that office, US or uh, NRCS and FSA to work together better to, to, to implement these programs. Anyone else want to respond? That's great. I'll, I'll make a couple more comments on it. Um, First off, the FSA offices in our area, I, I guess we're all looking forward to when they can open up and we can physically go into them again. That'll be a, a good day um, when we get the pandemic behind us. Um, but probably more importantly, when, when you're talking about the WIP program, you know, I got to think that there is a way to implement that through the crop insurance program. Um, most of that data that's used to calculate it is there. Um, the insurance industry could certainly help out with that and take some of the workload off of FSA. Okay, that's great. I have, uh, 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 Mr. Tate, uh, I know you're involved in it. You know, it's been since 1938 uh, when we established a Congress of Seven, the, the uh, crop insurance program. Uh, and I think the WIC program came in about maybe 2017. Uh, uh, as long as you've been involved, and I'm involved in insurance business myself, uh, uh, have you seen any significant improvement uh, uh, in the crop insurance program, or would you recommend any other significant improvement? 
I think to me, and of course it's a little bit because of my age, but um, I think the biggest improvement was the revenue products that we have. And, and I mean, my area, it's primarily corn and soybean production, but to me, that was a, a big jump up in terms of participation and then also the increased subsidies. Um, those two things have, have really helped out a lot. Um, obviously, you know, I think if there was ways to get higher levels of coverage, I think that would be, be great. I mean, I think that would be very welcomed um, from the industry as well as from the farmer's perspective. Um, so that may be some areas that could be improved upon. Okay, thank you. Madam Chair, I yield back. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Lawson. Um, so we are at a point where our members have gone back to the House floor to vote. Uh, Ranking Member Scott's got to go vote right now. Um, I'm going to go ahead and yield another five minutes back to myself and, and ask some questions since I am still here. I will have one more vote back on the House floor, but we'll try to manage this with members coming in and out. Um, and if for some reason we don't have any other members come in, I will suspend until they're back, um, it, but it will no, be no more than probably a few minutes. But I'm gonna go ahead and turn back to Mr. Kerwin, um, if, if I could please. Uh, Mr. Kerwin, you uh, referenced in your, your testimony the heavy winds and the, the flooding that impacted much of Illinois um, and much of the Midwest in 2019. That year, there was a significant number of prevented planting acres and related crop insurance indemnities. In addition to crop insurance, USDA also implemented a top-up payment to prevent plant through the, the uh, WIP Plus program. Could you please talk about how implementation of that top-up payment worked from your perspective as a, as a farmer? Yeah, so um, basically we, we were anticipating, you know, because it's a, at a 55% level, I believe, this has been a couple years now, um, and and that you know what our revenue streams into the springtime weren't super high, so we started looking at having all the inputs on our crop ground, and all of a sudden uh, the revenue streams that would be generated through the crop insurance program weren't going to be enough to cover that, let alone make any kind of money. So uh, we lobbied pretty hard for that. You know, had conversations with you about the top up programs or anything that we can do to generate more dollars because. At the time that we were making those decisions uh, in June, uh, we were up against the deadlines. Uh, crop prices had increased because of the delayed planting. And we looked at the revenue streams that had increased and we weren't able to participate in those because our crop wasn't in the ground. So we appreciated those top up payments. And, and it's probably something as you look forward into the crop insurance, you know, how to capture whether it's adding uh, allowing them that to participate in the the harvest price to then kind of generate some sort of a, a increase in the the indemnity to the producer but um, the real conundrum if you will was when we were sitting there with all the inputs into the ground and not no crop planted we're just waiting to get in that so uh, i guess that's you know how it affected me all right, thank you for, for that important perspective. Um, Jeff, you also talked in your testimony about the recent announcement from the USDA to provide crop insurance premium discounts to farmers that planted cover crops for this crop year, as well as about a program uh, from the Illinois Department of Agriculture uh, that uh, you identified as a pilot program. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the role of cover crops in your operation and how that pilot program has worked? Yeah, so we started 
uh, I believe two years ago and have been building on that in the state. Um, so we do, we offer a $5 an acre rebate on crop insurance for anyone willing and that can actually get on our website and do that from the Department of Ag. Um, usually that, those funds, we started out with $300,000. Uh, so it doesn't include a lot of acres, but those funds are usually disseminated within two hours at the opening of that um, website. But so we're really appreciative. And I think, you know, what's came out now through through you folks is the, the $5 rebate as well on the crop insurance, which I've signed up on. And uh, so implementation has been very easy at this point. We've certified those acres and, and hopefully that carries through. But it's, uh, you know, we use those quite extensively on our farm, both from a nutrient management and from a water quality standpoint and uh, have really started to work with them. All right, thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, Mr. Allen from Georgia is back, so at this point, I recognize the gentleman from Georgia for five minutes. Okay, thank you, Madam Chair, and for holding this hearing, and thank you to the witnesses for your valuable input. American farmers continue to face challenges uh, as they fight to feed the world. Um, volatile commodity prices, increased market consolidation on both ends of the supply chain, unfair and dishonest trade practices by partner countries and continued deficient access to high-speed internet are some of the most pressing issues that my constituent farmers face. Today I look forward to discussing the experiences each of our witnesses have had over the past several years with the implementation of the 2018 Farm Bill programs and to getting an update on the effectiveness of our farm safety net. Food security is national security. Congress must continue to support our farmers and remain attentive to their needs, not only because they feed us as a nation, but because without them we will become helpless and dependent on other nations, thereby losing our sovereignty. Mr. Talley, in your comments, you spoke of California's wildfires and the impact they're having on California farmers. Um, as I understand this, uh, this is somewhat of a, a battle between the environmental sector and proper management of our forest. Uh, we've had this discussion over and over. Uh, there, there's got to be science to this. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm from the timber basket of the South and uh, in my district, and we manage our forest. Of course, most of ours are privately owned. Uh, you have any suggestions on what we can do? In fact, Madam Chair, I would request for the, on the record that we have a hearing with those people who, on both sides, that we can come to some kind of conclusion on how to move forward with preventing these, uh, these terrible fires and the smoke and uh, everything else that goes with it. So, Mr. Talley, could you, could you uh, comment on that? Yes, uh, I'm, I'm in favor of more uh, ongoing prescri uh, prescriptive burning. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's what happens, uh, as I understand it, uh, for thousands of years here in California um, before um, people got so concerned about, you know, really stopping um, natural fire. And consequently, we have a lot of areas that uh, haven't burned for a long time. And um, that coupled with, um, you know, the effects of 
is I, I would ascribe it to climate change and this drought that we're facing. We just have ongoing drying vegetation. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think that there are management practices that could be implemented, um, you know, control burns uh, in springtime that are much easier to control that would uh, reduce the fuel load. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Tate, uh, thank you for your testimony. Are there any specific crops or commodities that you would like to identify which you feel the crop insurance provisions of the 2018 Farm Bill are not serving adequately? Uh, are <clears throat> these issues uh, farmers that might have with it uh, on a more regional nature? I would have to say that would be more regional in nature. Uh, I can only speak in terms of my area and uh, I believe that most our area is covered fairly well with uh, options for federal crop insurance. Uh, Dr. Shinicki, uh, one concern that I often hear from my constituent farmers is that an increase in market consolidation in the ag industry has led both uh, the companies which they buy inputs from and the companies which they sell crops to to have increased market power over our farmers themselves who actually uh, produce the product and uh, we don't feel like they're getting an equal share. Could you speak to this concern? Is, is there any validity to it? Um, there obviously has been a great deal of consolidation within the input industry in, uh, in, in Midwest, particularly as you look at the seed companies with being whittled down to basically three large companies. And yes, there, the, those companies, uh, uh, there are concerns and there are legitimate concerns about the market power that those, uh, those, those company, companies have. I would also mention that as we've seen consolidation, one of the longer term concerns may be that innovation slows down and innovation and, and improved genetics are one of the things that keep, uh, keep, uh, keep the economy, agricultural economy rolling and, and, and so there are, there are legitimate concerns in that area. Okay, thank you very much. Madam Chairman, I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Allen. Uh, we still have three members who would like to ask questions. However, we are on our third and last vote over, at the over on the House floor. So we are going to suspend for, I'm going to say five minutes or less. Um, at which time I'm also going to run over and, and cast a vote. Uh, my apologies to our witnesses for having to stand by, uh, but uh, count on about a five-minute break if we could, and so we'll recess uh, for, for about five minutes. Thank you. I'd like to uh, call us back to order, and uh, I'd like to recognize uh, Representative Mann. Uh, th thank you, Mr. Carbajal. Actually, Ms., uh, Mr. Mann, just one second. Yeah. I also would like to uh, ask the witnesses to unmute your mics. Was that correct? And camera's back on. Representative Mann? Great. Well, thank Five you, uh, uh, Representative Carbajal. And, and thanks to our witnesses for joining today. Thank you. I know we just had a quick recess as we ran to vote, so thanks for staying on with us as we finish this up. Um, a, a handful of questions. My first question would be for Mr. Tate. Um, on crop insurance flexibility, you know, as both a, you're a producer, an agent, and a crop revenue consultant, so you have a unique perspective on the program and probably seen a lot of changes during, uh, you know, during your career. 
One of the advantages of the crop insurance program is its flexibility to adjust to changes in agriculture and the environment through the creation of new programs and policies, as well as certain flexibilities within any given crop season. What are some of the policies as well as uh, what, what are some of the adjustments to the program that you've seen over the last 16 years that you think have been the most helpful for farmers and ranchers? Well, I guess there's a number of things. Uh, like I had mentioned before, the introduction of the, of the revenue policies is a big one. Um, I think also the trend-adjusted yield on the APH. Um, I'd mentioned in my statement about how that's kind of a... Uh, a hidden deductible, if you will, um, it, your APH lags a little bit, and so there's been changes to try to improve that. Um, that's helped out the program considerably. Um, but as far as what you know, I think you're asking what can we be what can be done to enhance this further. Um, again, I would have to go back to you know we could look at maybe potentially getting some more um, higher coverage levels. Even um, I think that would be helpful to the program. Great. Well, th thank you. And then um, my, my, my remaining questions would be for the three producers we have, Mr. Kerwin, Mr. Uh, Talley, and Mr. Shannon, thank you for joining us. My parents and brother still operate our fifth-generation family farm that I, I grew up on in Quinter, Kansas, which is western Kansas. For our family's farm, one of the most important changes to ag policy was the 1996 Freedom to Farm Act, which changed our operation permanently for the better. As we consider updates to the 2023 Farm Bill, what are the most important parts of the farm safety net for your operation and what potential enhancements or improvements um, would, would you like to see being made to our current programs? And that would be maybe start with Mr. Kerwin. So, so I would say that some of the best improvements um, would be uh, the, the revisiting of the base acres and some of the, the program the acreages and the yields and, and seeing if there's any updating that can be done with that. Um, from the crop insurance side, I think those increasing coverage levels and or some of the things that, you know, we have now the ECO and SCO and, and some of those um, county-based things to top up on top of what our, our revenue protections are would be things that, that uh, considerations and continuing. So. Great. How about you, Mr. Talley? What improvements or enhancements would you like to see as we think about the, the 2023 Farm Bill? Well, I think one of the cha uh, challenges that we face in California is that uh, the, the Farm Bill is really more structured for uh, producers in, in the Midwest. And uh, California is very unique. We farm a lot of um, niche type, type products, a lot of specialty products. But it does add up to, uh, you know, the, the um, biggest, uh, uh, you know, value agriculture in, in the United States. So somehow I would like to see, um, you know, a little bit more attention paid to, um, you know, the unique challenges uh, that specialty crop uh, producers in California face. Okay. And, and lastly, how about you, Mr. Shannon? Um, improvements, enhancements you think about as we look at the 2023 Farm Bill? The uh, seed cotton thing is important to me, and I want to thank y'all for getting that back in Title I. Uh, that and peanut program, keeping the separate payment limits on peanuts, and if we could help those reference prices some, uh, undoubtedly our cost of production has went up in the last few years, and we appreciate that that can move up some. 
Okay, great. Um, I have no further questions. Uh, Mr. Carball, I yield back. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mann. I will now recognize uh, Representative Bishop. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. And uh, let me give a special shout out and welcome to Mr. Shannon of Georgia. Uh, and of course, a uh, welcome to each of our panelists. Um, let me just say that one of my most pressing concerns for the subcommittee is to establish a permanent solution uh, for disaster assistance. Uh, we've done ad hoc disaster assistance on the Ag Appropriations Subcommittee for several years, and the ins and outs of the legislative process, not to mention the time it takes for implementation, uh, really often means delays in getting assistance to the farmers. I believe that we need to have a rainy day fund or an interest-bearing account set aside so that if damage were to recur within a, a certain level, that we could use that fund instead of having to do a supplemental appropriations bill. Uh, my good friend, ranking member Austin Scott and I have worked together to bring much needed assistance to middle and South Georgia uh, in the wake of Hurricane Michael and can agree that creating a standard disaster program is not only vital, uh, but necessary uh, an ongoing investment to ensure that rural America has timely relief and access to resource to sustain operations when and not if, but when uh, the next uh, disaster comes. So Mr. Shannon, can you give us your perspective of how such a permanent solution for disaster assistance might impact your operation? And Dr. Shidney, uh, can you tell us whether or not the University of Illinois or other entities that you're aware of have conducted any analysis to evaluate the impact of a permanent disaster relief fund? Well, my first comment, would be amen thank you yes sir we would love to have something that was would be quick to get uh didn't take a lot of trouble and and aggravation on anybody's part uh, uh the other part of the question no sir i'm not not familiar with what you're talking about there with the uh folks from illinois um i would i would I think that one of those questions was that addressed me and specifically, have we looked at a standing disaster program? Um, no, no, we haven't looked at, at, at that particular issue here, here lately. Um, we, we, we would also suggest that, 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 that program as much as possible complement the crop insurance and, and, and not take away from crop insurance and, and, uh, because that has become, at least in the Midwest, a very important uh, part of the safety net for farmers, and I think they would list that. And not, not suggesting, sir, that uh, we uh, eliminate uh, crop insurance. I'm trying to make available whatever crop insurance doesn't cover, uh, yeah. that we have something in place that uh, will be available in short term, as opposed to having to wait months and months and months to get some kind of relief uh, uh, through the legislative process. That, that was what my suggestion was. And uh, if you guys could, could think about that, uh, all of the panelists could think about it and give us some, some thoughts about it as we uh, look forward to the next farm bill, uh, we might want to consider doing that. I've got a little bit more time back and I, I just wanted to ask, uh, as we look toward the new farm bill, uh, we have to ensure that, that it's flexible enough to include all of our agriculture uh, uh, programs and commodities, uh, as well as a variety of specialty crops uh, from many different geographical areas. 
uh, which is why uh, I'm glad that all of you are here today. Uh, Mr. Talley is a wine grape grower, Mr. Shannon, peanut producer, Curran is a grain farmer. How can Congress ensure that the next farm bill accommodates all of your unique needs uh, and yet uh, cover everybody uh, at the same time? Again, from my perspective, uh, um, working with farm organizations in our state and our universities to, to some of the challenges that you guys have identified here today um, is, is a great step forward in, in working with our congressional people to, to offer suggestions and improving what we have in place. I would certainly agree. Improving what we already have, if we can up the reference price on the seed cotton and the peanuts, I think that would be, be good for our area. I guess my, my suggestion was that we need to have something that is broad enough to include everyone, but flexible enough so that uh, no particular commodity would be uh, um, overlooked, mistreated, or, or under, under supported. That's appreciated. I think my time has expired, Mr. Chairman, and I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Bishop. Uh, before we adjourn today, I invite the ranking member to share any closing comments he may have. Mr. Scott. Well, thank, thank you, Madam Chair. And um, Mr. M Mr. Talley, I, I heard you loud and clear on the specialty crop issue. Uh, our specialty crops are different than yours, but they're still specialty crops, and that's where I think improvements to the NAP program uh, can come in, and hopefully we can address them in the next Farm Bill. Uh, I want to thank all of you for being here. One of the things that I do want to uh, mention as we write the, the next Farm Bill is that it's important to me that any, any additional things that are done with regard to uh, the environment that, that, is, that is currently being discussed not come out of the current safety net for our, our ag producers and then it be done uh, in the form of additional funds, uh, not in lieu of what, it, what we are currently providing in crop insurance and other things to our producers. So, Thank you so much for your valuable testimony. And with that, uh, Madam Chair, I yield to you. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Uh, I want to thank um, all of our witnesses here today as well. Uh, the discussion was informative. Uh, I learned from it. And I uh, want to emphasize our commitment to ensuring that the safety net and the risk management tools are working well for our farmers in time of need. With the weather and the market conditions in recent years, our witnesses have described and the worsening drought conditions affecting much of the country will together be actively working to understand and address the challenges that our family farmers are facing. The input that you provided us today is essential in our examination of existing programs and as we start to look ahead to the next Farm Bill. Under the rules of the committee, the record of today's hearing will remain open for 10 calendar days to receive additional material and supplementary written responses from the witnesses to any question posed by a member. This hearing of the Subcommittee on General Farm Commodities and Risk Management is adjourned. <laughs>